Well, today we come to the end of our journey through Philippians, the epistle of joy, rejoicing, thanksgiving, seen throughout the book. Today, the focus is on being content, the secret of being content. We turn to Philippians 4, beginning at verse 10. But I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at last, You have revived your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned before, but you lacked opportunity. Not that I speak from want, for I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am. I know how to get along with humble means, and I also know how to live in prosperity. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of being filled and going hungry, of having abundance and suffering need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Nevertheless, you have done well to share with me in my affliction. You yourselves also know, Philippians, that at the first preaching of the gospel, after I left Macedonia, no church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving, but you alone. For even in Thessalonica you sent a gift more than once for my needs. Not that I seek the gift itself, but I seek for the profit which increases to your account. But I have received everything in full, and have an abundance, and I am amply supplied, having received from Epaphroditus what you have sent, a fragrant aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. And my God will supply all your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Now to our God and Father, be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brethren who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that you are the one that supplies all of our needs according to your riches and glory. You are a faithful God. You are a merciful Father. And we thank you that your word is truth. I pray that the words of my mouth, the meditations of our hearts would be pleasing in your sight. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Many years ago, Lord Congleton overheard one of his kitchen's servants remark, Oh, if I only had five pounds, I would be content. Now, just so you know, that's not five pounds of blubber. Five pounds is a money in the United Kingdom. And so pondering her statement, he decided he would like to see someone who was perfectly content. So he went to the woman and said he had overheard what she had said, and he was going to do something about it. He proceeded to give her a five-pound note. And so she just thanked him. Oh, you know, I just couldn't be more thankful. I just really, really appreciate that. And so he waited a little bit before he went too far away outside the door. And as soon as she thought he was gone, she began to complain. Why on earth didn't I ask for 10 pounds? (laughs) Just five pounds, I would be so content. (laughs) She got it. And all of a sudden, that, that contentment was gone. It's interesting how human nature works, isn't it? We think that if we had something more... Or if we had something better, then we would be content. And then we get what we wish for, 
And it isn't too long before we realize that didn't bring me contentment either. I can tell you a story about when I was a young boy. There was a baseball glove that I had my heart on. I said, Dad, can I get this glove? And, you know, you know how kids are. It'll be my birthday present and my Christmas present and next year's birthday present. If I could just have that glove, oh, I'd be so happy. Well, I finally got that glove, and guess what? One of my teammates had a better glove than I did, and now I wanted that one. It's just like, yeah, right. You'd be happy if you got that. It just doesn't seem to work that way. So let me ask you a question. Is it possible to be content? Is it possible to be content in whatever circumstances we are in? Well, the Apostle Paul had much to say in his letters about contentment. Second Timothy 6, starting at verse 6, says, But godliness actually is a means of great gain when accompanied by contentment. For we brought nothing into the world, so we cannot take anything out of it either. If we have food and covering with these, we shall be content. The writer of Hebrews, which may have been the Apostle Paul, some believe, here's what he says, Hebrews 13, verse 5, make sure that your character is free from the love of money, being content with what you have. For he himself has said, I will never desert you, nor will I ever forsake you. And if you're wondering if Paul practiced what he preached, or if this was just uh, you know, instruction for others, listen to what he says in 2 Corinthians 12, verse 10. He says, therefore, I am well content, and listen to the list, with weakness, with insults, with distresses, with persecutions, with difficulties for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. It's like, wow, (laughs) you must really mean it, don't you? That in whatever circumstances, he was content. Now, did that come naturally? Was Paul just a naturally content person? Now, I suppose some are more content than others, but Paul says in this passage that this is something he learned. He learned to be content. Verse 11, not that I speak from want, for I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am. So what can we learn from the one who learned what it means to be Content. I'd suggest there's four things in our text. First of all, we learn to be content by rejoicing in God's provision. As far as riches were concerned, Paul had been on both sides of the spectrum, right? He describes that here in verse 12. He says, I know how to get along with humble means, and I also know to, how to live in, in prosperity. In any and every circumstance, I've learned the secret of being filled and going hungry, both of having abundance and suffering need. Now, unlike most of us, Paul did not have a paycheck that was steady every week or every month, right? He, he, sometimes he had abundance, sometimes he didn't. And I suppose if you were to ask him, what would you rather have? Or let me ask you, what would you rather have? Would you rather have abundance or would you have humble means? I suppose most of us would say, well... I think I'll choose the abundance. I think that would be a little bit more fun. And maybe we might even say, oh, then I'd be more content. But you know, that's not the answer based on this passage. So 
If Paul could have chosen, he probably would have chosen an abundance, but whether he had little or whether he had much, he knew that God was going to provide for him. Now, one way he did that was with his job, right? Paul was a tent maker. We know that. And so that's one of the ways that God provides for our needs, right? We work. Okay, that's a blessing. That is not, not a curse. But God also provided for Paul through believers like those in Philippi. Verse 14, he says, You have done well to share with me in my affliction. He said, You yourselves know, Philippians, after the first preaching of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving but you alone. For even in Thessalonica, you sent more than one time to meet my needs. Okay, so he experienced the, the outpouring of blessing that came from other people from the churches. But as he writes here to the Philippians, he had just gone through a time of need. And for some reason, they were not able to help him until very recently. In verse 10, he says that they had concern for him, but they lacked opportunity. Now, whatever that was, we don't exactly know. But we can be sure of this, that that this was part of God's timing. This was God's way of, of teaching him. And it's interesting, in verse 10, he rejoices that the Philippians had given to meet his need, but notice to whom he gives the credit. Verse 10, But I rejoiced greatly in the Lord. I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at last you have revived your concern to me. So what is he saying here? He is saying that God knows exactly what he needed. God knows exactly when he needed it. And that enabled him to be content. He rejoiced in the provision of God. And that's what we are called to do, right? Rejoicing in the provision of God, whether it is in a time of abundance or whether it is not. It is still God who provides for us. Henry Bosch, who was an, a writer in Our Daily Bread some years ago, he described his Aunt Nellie. He said that she was a woman with a cheerful disposition and a deep faith in the Lord. And she patiently cared for her husband. He was bedridden for about five years until he died. And while she was caring for him, the bills were mounting up and no money to pay for them. Even the funeral, she didn't have enough money to pay for that. And, and so the funeral director said, that's fine, I, I can wait for that. And yet, through it all, Henry Bosch says she was, she was not depressed. When he visited her, she said, God will supply my needs. I don't know how, but I know he will. Isn't that great? God will supply my needs. There are times when we say, I don't know how, but I know that he will. So a few days later, she re received some wonderful news. There was a piece of land in Texas that her husband's father had bought. Years ago, many years ago, produced some oil. And soon a letter arrived with a check for more than $5,000, which was her share of the earnings. It covered, mind you, it covered her expenses to the penny. As if God was saying, okay, Nellie, I'm going to provide for you. I'm going to care for you. And just to show you that it was me, I'm going to provide for the very penny. God supplied 
all her needs. Are you rejoicing in God's provision for you? Whether it is much or little, your daily bread comes from Him. And when you recognize that He knows what is best for you, that helps you to become content. Hey, Lord, I know you're going to provide. I'm not sure how, but I know you're going to provide. And I can be content because God will supply all my needs. Notice, secondly, we learn to be content by relying on God's power. You know, most people seem to think that we find contentment by reaching a financial goal, possessing certain things. Paul says uh, contentment has nothing to do with our circumstances. That's kind of hard for us to accept sometimes, isn't it? Because we think, well, look at my circumstances. Look what I'm going through. How do you expect me in the midst of this to be content? What does Paul say? Verse 11, not that I speak from want, for I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am. He goes on to make that contrast then. Humble means prosperity, filled, going hungry, abundance, or in need. In other words, what he's saying is that our circumstances in life don't have to be perfect to be content. Some people think that. How can I be content in this situation? Something has to change. My circumstances have to be different. If God ever expects me to be content. Now, when you think of how hard it is for human nature to be content, we usually think of those who don't have much, right? How could they ever be content? They just don't have as much as others. And if you've ever been there, and probably most of us have been in a position where it was tough financially, wondering, you know, how am I going to pay this bill, or, or how are my needs going to be met, living from paycheck to paycheck just to make ends meet. And then you see others that have more than you, others whose life just seems to be so easy, right? Finances are there, their needs are abundantly provided for. What are we tempted to say? If I only had what they had, I would be so content. If I only had what they had, I would be so happy. And you might even be tempted to say, if I had their money, I'd throw mine away. That's what my dad used to say to his brother, joking with him. He'd say, you know, if I had your money, I'd throw mine away. Oh, yeah, 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 my, yeah, my money. But, but are the wealthy known for their contentment? Think of it. Those who have a lot of the riches of the world, are they really content? I mean, look at some of the athletes of our day who have contracts that are just massive. And they're offered an extension to their contract, which is massive. And what do some of them say? I ain't got to sign on that. I'm worth more than that. Look at what so-and-so is getting in my position. I should be getting a, at least that. The rich are not known for their contentment. So who struggles with it? Both the rich and the poor. That is our sinful human nature. That's why Paul says twice in this passage that contentment is something we learn. I have learned to be content. It doesn't come naturally to any of us. Contentment comes only by knowing Jesus and then experiencing His power in our lives. That's why Paul connects contentment with the power of God. Look at, look at verses 12 and 13 together. 
He says, I know how to get along in humble means. I know how to get along in prosperity, being filled and going hungry, having abundance and suffering need. And then he says in verse 13, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Now, some people pull that verse out of context. And they think that, you know, I I can do anything. The context of this is contentment. And what Paul is saying, in the midst of all of these varying circumstances, God is the one who strengthens me. God is the one who enables me, in the midst of it all, to be content. It is not natural to our sinful nature. It is the work of God. The work of God to make us content. Perhaps you heard of the pastor who telephoned his sermon to the Norfolk Ledger Dispatch. And his sermon title was, The Lord is My Shepherd, preaching on Psalm 23. And he was asked on the phone, is that all? He said, that's enough. And so when they printed his title in the paper that week, The Lord is My Shepherd, that's enough. <laughs> well, that's a good title, right? What does Psalm 23 say? The Lord, because the Lord is my shepherd, I have everything I need. So God is the one who provides for us Jesus is enough. He enables us to live a life of of contentment. It is not something that we experience in our own strength. Notice thirdly, we learn to be content by giving for God's glory. Now that might seem like a little strange, right? Well, how would I learn contentment by giving, right? The world would say, well, that doesn't quite work. We learn contentment by receiving, right? Because I need more. If I get more, I'll be so happy. Although the Philippian believers were repeatedly, or gave repeatedly to Paul's ministry, it was not because they were wealthy. I can guarantee you that. It is likely that they were among the churches of Macedonia. Philippi was in the region of Macedonia. Listen to what Paul says about these churches. 2 Corinthians 8, verse 1, Now, brethren, we wish to make known to you Notice this, the grace of God, which was given to the churches of Macedonia. What was that grace? That in a great ordeal of affliction, their abundance of joy and their deep poverty overflowed in the wealth of their liberality. So what's he say? They were in the midst of a tough situation. Financially, materially. And yet, Paul says, they had an abundance of joy and they overflowed in what they gave. Verse 3, For I testify that according to their ability and even beyond their ability, they gave of their own accord, begging us with much urging for the favor of participation in the support of the saints. Isn't that amazing? They said, please let us give. Maybe Paul was saying, well, you're, you guys are facing a tough time. Oh, don't worry about it. Just, just let us give. And they, they gave out of their poverty with, with overflowing joy. That's quite, a, quite a, an example of, of giving. And I think what happens when you are giving to the needs of others it has a way of kind of taking eyes off of ourselves, doesn't it? 
Because when we have our eyes on ourselves and our own situation, our own circumstances, that's when discouragement comes. But when we get our eyes off of ourselves and we are looking to, to reach out to others and, and meet the needs of others, that's where we find joy. What did Jesus say? It is more blessed to give than it is to receive. And notice how Paul describes the gift that these people gave to him. He describes it as an act of worship. Verse 18, he says, But I have received everything in full, and I have an abundance. I am amply supplied, having received from Epaphroditus which you have sent. Then he describes it in this way, a fragrant aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. That's sacrificial terminology, right? Paul says this was like an act of worship. This was given to meet my needs, certainly, but, but I can tell you gave for the glory of God. Let me ask you, do you see your giving as an act of worship? When the ushers came through today with the offering plates, if you give here, I know some of you do that online, and bless your heart for that. Do you see your purpose for giving to pay the bills? Now, of course, we have to pay the bills, but if that's the only way we look at the offering, well, I suppose we've got to pay pastor's salary until he's gone. Well, it's got to be a deeper reason than that. We have to see it as an act of worship. The offering is an act of worship because it is one way that we say, Lord, I praise you. Lord, I thank you. Lord, you have provided for me. And in response to your goodness, I want to give to the work of your kingdom. And when you give in that way, when you give as an act of worship, you give for the glory of God, God blesses you with contentment. He really does. It is more blessed to give than to receive. Notice finally then, we learn to be content by trusting in God's faithfulness. So just as Paul had trusted in God's faithfulness for his needs, he encourages the Philippians to do the same. They had given to the work of the kingdom, and they could trust that God was going to be faithful to them. Verse 19, My God, Paul says, will supply all your needs according to his riches in glory in Christ, in, in Christ Jesus. So how, how many needs will he supply? Some of them? Most of them? 95% of them? All of them. You know what the Greek word all means? You know, right? It means all. Everything. God will supply all of our needs. Completely. I still remember Dr. Munseth and when I was in seminary. God will supply all of our needs, not all of our greeds, but all of our needs. So maybe we need to get our needs figured out, right? That they're as God sees them. Because sometimes we look at things that, oh, I really need this. <clears throat> ask the question, well, do you really need it? Well, yeah, maybe not. Maybe I don't really need it. I want it, though. Yeah. Well, God supplies all of our, our needs completely. And he never lacks in any way to meet those needs. My God will supply all your needs, and notice this phrase, according to his riches 
in glory in Christ Jesus. What, you know what according to means? It means that God meets our needs in a way that is consistent with or in proportion to His riches. How much does God own? Is He lacking in any way? God has a vast resource of riches that can never be exhausted. So it doesn't matter what your need is, God is able to meet that need, and we ought to trust Him for that. I've shared with you before, I remember as a child, driving in the car, going up to Upper Michigan, God's country to visit family. I never wondered, does my dad have enough money to put in the gas, to get gas? Does he have enough money to feed us? It never occurred to me. I just, I just trusted him. He's my dad. He would care for me. Well, our Heavenly Father has resources that are vastly superior to any father here. And He will meet all of our needs according to His riches in glory in Christ Jesus. I read about a poor family from Europe that was coming to America, sailing on a ship. And they had brought some bread and cheese to eat while they were sailing over the ocean. And one of the, the boys was getting a little tired of uh, cheese sandwiches. He said, I hate cheese sandwiches. If I don't eat anything else before we get to America, I'm going to die. Now that's probably a teenager, right? I'm so hungry. I'm going to die. I'm starving. So his father gave him his last nickel. And he said, uh, go buy an ice cream cone. And so he took off, and it was a long time before he came back. And his father said, where were you? He said, I was in the galley. What were you doing? Eating three ice cream cones and a steak dinner. He said, what? Eating three ice cream cones and a steak dinner, all for a nickel? He said, oh no, the food is free. It comes with a ticket. So here they were. <laughs> scrounging up uh, cheese sandwiches, wondering how they're going to make it all the way. The meals came with the ticket. (laughs) Isn't this what God promises those who are His children? Listen to Romans 8.32. He who did not spare His own Son, but delivered Him up for us all, how will He not also freely give us all things? So what's the ticket? It's life eternal in Jesus, right? And God, Paul is saying, if God went to that degree of commitment and love for you that he would give his son for you, is he then not going to provide the lesser? Providing for your needs comes with the ticket. Comes with a living relationship with Jesus. When you know him as your Savior, you have that promise, right? God will supply all your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Are you willing to trust him today? Are you willing to trust that God will give you all that you need when you need it? Contentment isn't found in every, getting everything you want. It's trusting that God will provide everything that you need. And that's the work of God. It is not something that comes from our own sinful flesh, but through the power of God as he works in our lives. He enables us, by His grace and mercy, to be content, whatever the circumstances. Let's pray. Father, thank You for the gift of contentment.
Teach us what it means to be content in any and every circumstance. Help us to learn that, Lord. And sometimes the way we learn that is through hard times. Where we're put in a position, Lord, where we have nowhere to look but to you. And then we find you faithful, Lord. We find you so gracious and so merciful. Thank you that your faithfulness is great. That every need you will supply. May you receive the glory and the praise in Jesus' name.